Can you guys hear me? There we go. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thank you for being here. My name is Adam, and I'm honored to preach God's Word this morning. Thank you, Dustin and worship team, for leading us in such Christ-centered worship. I hope that your heart is prepared to go into God's Word. Um, I do want to welcome you, especially if you're a first-time visitor, like me, first time here. We're glad that you're here and have chosen to worship with us. Um, I know that this summer you've had quite a few people come and bring God's Word, and uh, today it's my privilege to come and preach the final sermon in your study through the book of James, and so that's what we're going to be studying together. But before we get into it, I just want to take a moment to introduce myself. Um, My name is Adam. My wife, who's not here this morning, is named Holly, and I work in Ontario at Gateway Seminary. I'm one of the vice presidents and professor of philosophy there. So if you have any interest in philosophy, we should talk because that'd be fun. But uh, I work in Ontario. We live in Redlands. We have four children, ages 12, 14, 16, and 18. Two boys, two girls. No, that was not planned. And we just dropped off my oldest at college this week, my oldest daughter at college. And you think, was that sad? Oh yeah, that was sad. I would, I would use the phrase tear fest. It was a tear fest. But um, my next two are boys, and I don't know, call me crazy, I think that it will be a little easier to drop my boys off at college than it was to drop my daughter off at college, but um, we'll see what happens. I could be wrong. But it's such a privilege to be here. This is a kind of a, a special area for me, even though I live in Redlands now. My wife and I got married just up the road in, on Canoga. Um, uh, we got married at a little Baptist church there in Northridge. I used to live in Northridge. I was born in Pasadena, grew up in Phoenix. My wife is pretty much born and raised in Burbank, so we know this area really well, and this is an amazing opportunity for this church to be here and to shine the light of Jesus in this particular part of the valley. So I'm privileged to be here. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for you being here in a time of transition. Your commitment to the church is important because we want generations of future residents of the valley to have an opportunity to know Jesus follow Jesus, and reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that said, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of James. The book of James, if you're using one of the Bibles that the church provides, it's page 952. If you're not using one of the Bibles the church provides, it's not 952. I don't know what it is. But James, probably the easiest way to find James is to go to the the back of the Bible and flip to the left. And once you pass First and Second Peter, Revelation, you'll come to James. The text we're covering today is chapter 4, verse 13, all the way through chapter 5, verse 20, the end of the book. And hopefully when you came in today, you grabbed one of the bulletins because that has the title and the text and my sermon points. If you're a note-taking type of person, there's room for you to do that. And if not, you can just listen and learn however God's created you to learn. But before I get into the text, let me just pause and pray for us before we go into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that you are God and we are not. And we're happy about that because you are faithful and you are true and you are good and your Word is in the heavens settled forever. It's unchanging because you, God, are unchanging which means your covenant promises are unchanging and your love and your kindness towards those in Christ is unchanging. So God, this morning, would you forgive us of our sins? We confess our sins. We ask God that you would cleanse us from unrighteousness. 
Lord, we pray right now, not only for our own gathering, but for all the gatherings here in the valley and throughout Southern California, where your word is being preached, where Christ is being exalted, where sinners are called to salvation by faith alone. Would your spirit be there? Would your spirit bless and grow and water? God, we confess we don't even know what we need this morning, but you do. So Lord, put the power of your spirit behind the word as it's preached. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be clear. Would you be exalted in Christ's name? Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at James chapter 4, verses 13 through chapter 5, verse 20. And we'll read portions of this as we go because it's a rather large section of scripture. But I wonder if you've ever read a book and gotten to the end of the book and finished the book and then flipped back to the beginning of the book and read the first or second page over because now that you know all that the book says, what it says in the beginning makes so much more than it did when you first read it. Well, as we come to the end of James, I want to remind us of something James says at the very beginning of the book. In chapter 1, verse 2, James says, Count it all joy. Consider it all joy. Probably the first Bible verse I ever memorized as a new Christian was that verse. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face various kinds of trials because we know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. God is bringing about joy in our lives through trials, through tribulations, through temptations, through hardships. How many of you are going through a trial or a temptation or a tribulation or a hardship? All of us. Well, what is God doing? God is teaching you to look to Jesus to trust in Jesus, and when you look to Jesus and trust in Jesus, what you get is joy. James says there is joy in looking to Jesus. And really the main point of the entire book of James is that saving faith is transforming faith. Saving faith is transforming faith. If you have saving faith, then you are being transformed in every part of your life. And the book of James is all about practical stuff, how Jesus changes your life in very practical ways. In James chapter 1, it talks about how we treat orphans and widows. In James chapter 2, it talks about not showing partiality, which is why when you came in this morning, it's not like going to the airport. We don't have a first class section and a second class section and a business class section. They just have seats for anyone who wants to come and learn about God. Why? Because saving faith is transforming faith. We no longer show partiality, James says. This is practical stuff. In James chapter 3, James says that saving faith changes the way you talk, how you talk. Boy, before Jesus, you just said whatever came to your mind. But Jesus comes into your life and Jesus provides a filter and it's the filter of the word and God's word is to filter our speech. Saving faith is transforming faith and James is saying if you will put your effort into the transformation of faith, what's in it for you is great joy. And you know what a perfect illustration of this idea that saving faith affects all of life is baptism. When you get baptized, 
How much of you goes under the water? When you got baptized, if you got baptized biblically, we're in a Baptist church here, okay? How much of you goes under the water? All of you. You don't get to leave your phone out of the water. You don't get to leave your wallet out of the water. You don't get to leave your family out of the water. All of your life, all of you goes under the water, buried with Christ, and then raised to walk in newness of life. What does that mean? That is a picture of the fact that when you come to faith, all of you comes under the lordship of Jesus. So today's sermon title is The Joy of Trusting Jesus. And James ends the letter with pointing us to the joy of trusting Jesus. And this is the good news this morning, that if you will trust Jesus in the key and critical areas of your life, there is great joy for you. So if you're here this morning and you're running a little low on joy, James is going to give us some practical ways that you can stoke the furnace of joy in your life. Stoke the furnace of joy. In three ways, trusting Jesus with your tomorrow Trusting Jesus with your treasure and trusting Jesus with your trials. Trusting Jesus for joy with your tomorrow, your treasure, and your trials. So first, trusting Jesus with your tomorrow. Look at chapter 4, starting in verse 13. I'll read for us verses 13 through 16. And I believe this will be on the screen as well. Come now, you who say, tomorrow or t- today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So this passage has to do with planning. And everybody in here makes plans. Whether you think you're good at it or not, everybody in here is making plans. Plans for lunch, plans for tonight, plans for tomorrow, plans for this week. You've got plans that have to do with the future. So I'm calling this tomorrow, the future. James says that plans, are these are just random plans. Notice what he says in verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go and do such and such. So these aren't, this, this is, replies to anything in your life that you're planning to do. I'm calling this tomorrow. And it's kind of a business plan. He says, we're going to go into this town and we're going to do business and we're going to make profit. Now, let me just say up front, there's nothing wrong with business, nothing wrong with profit, nothing wrong with travel. All of these things can be good gifts from God. James says in chapter 1, verse 17, that all the good gifts of life come down from the Father of light, from whom there is no shifting shadow, no variation. So these things are gifts, planning, business, profit, travel. These things can be gifts. So what's the problem? What's the problem that James is addressing? The problem is pride. The problem, going back to the Garden of Eden, is pride. The problem isn't business or travel or profit. 
It says, if you should say the Lord wills because you have forgotten that you are a mist. Your life is a vapor. It is, go- it is here one moment and gone the next. Last weekend, we had a big storm here in Southern California. And out where I live, we had the rare occasion of lightning. And lightning's kind of interesting because as soon as you say, look, there's lightning, the person looks and it's, that's us. We're here one moment, and we're gone the next. So where is joy in trusting Jesus? Well, James says in verse 15, look in verse 15. We need to make a correction. He says in verse 15, instead of presuming, instead what you ought to say. So here's the correction. Don't make plans and and just assume they're going to materialize. Entrust your plans to the sovereignty of our heavenly Father. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Remember what Jesus taught us to pray? Thy will be done. Thy will be done, Lord, in regards to my plans. My plans to retire. My, my plans to buy. My plans to sell. My plans to go. My plans to rest. All of my plans today, Lord, my plans to go to lunch, all of them fall under your sovereignty. And if you don't do that, James says, then you're being boastful, you're being arrogant, you're being sinful about your planning, and there is no joy in sinful, prideful, boastful, arrogant planning. There's no joy in that. Because here's what happens. If you don't trust Jesus with your tomorrow, then you make a plan, you assume that God owes you the outcome, and when you don't get what you planned, then you're angry, you're anxious, and you start to think about the brevity of life, and you're fearful, you're stressed, and James says that's not how Jesus wants us to live. We're supposed to experience joy in our short lives, and in order to experience joy, we have to trust Jesus with tomorrow. So what are your plans, and are you trusting Jesus? Practically speaking, this means holding your plans loosely. Don't assume that just because you planned it, it will happen. Don't assume that just because you planned it perfectly, that it'll happen perfectly. God is in heaven. He has the right to redirect us. He has the right to stop us. He has the right to change our plans. So when you plan, say, Lord, if you will, this will happen. But God, if you need to stop me, stop me. If you need to redirect me, redirect me. And if you will trust Jesus with your tomorrow, you will experience a joy that maybe this morning you're lacking. Number two, trusting Jesus with your treasure. Trusting Jesus with your treasure. Let's read verses 1 through 6 together. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evident against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the labor are mowed who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, and are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lied on the earth, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. 
You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So first, if we want to experience joy in this Christian life, we have to trust Jesus with our future, our plans tomorrow. But second, we have to trust Jesus with our treasure. Again, when we follow Jesus, all of us goes under the water. So James says, trust Jesus with your treasure. Now, James uses a phrase at the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. He says, come now, come now. And he said the same thing in chapter 4, verse 13. Come now. And what he's saying is, sit up. Pay attention. Literally, that's what that means in the Greek. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Maybe you worked last night and you've dozed off. James says, hey, pay attention to this. This is really important. This is really important. You who are rich. Now, I know the temptation right now is to think, I'm not rich, so I don't have to pay attention. Well, let me burst your bubble. The word rich here simply means abundance. That's literally what it means. It means abundance. So if you have abundance, you should pay attention. And you might be thinking, no, 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 still that doesn't apply to me. I don't have an abundance. Do you have one shirt or do you have an abundance of shirts? Do you have one pair of shoes or do you have an abundance of shoes? When you go to watch a channel on TV, do you have one channel or an abundance of channels. When you go to to the cereal aisle, is there one kind of cereal or an abundance of cereal? The reality is all of us have an abundance. We are all biblically rich. Here's the irony of this, is so much of our anxiety in life has to do with the abundance of our possessions. Sociologists, by the way, they call this the paradox of choice. The more choices you have in life, the more stressed out you are. That's a fact. And so what, what we do with our abundance is we work hard to give ourselves all these choices, which then in turn rob us of the joy that Jesus wants us to have. And this is why we have things like the minimalist movement, where people say, well, if you want to have more joy, limit yourself to one pair of shoes and one shirt and one car and all these sorts of things. But James isn't saying the problem is abundance. He's not saying the problem is abundance. James isn't saying the problem is wealth. James is saying the problem is what we do with our abundance. What do we do with it? So James says that those with abundance should weep and howl. Look at verse 1. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And if you look in verse 3, he says, he says, your gold and silver of are moth-eaten, I'm sorry, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So those of us living between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and his return are living in what's called the last days. You might watch the news and you see the silliness and the nonsense and the rebellion and the filth and the perversion in our culture and you're saying, boy, we're living in the last days and you don't need CNN to tell you that. The Bible tells you that. Those of us living between the resurrection and ascension and the return of Jesus are living in the last days. In fact, look at chapter 5 verse 8. James says, establish your heart for the coming 
of the Lord. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord. The next thing in the timeline of God's providence is the coming of the Lord. So are we living in the last days? Yes. And so what do we do with our treasure? Well, we all have treasure, maybe a little bit of treasure, maybe a lot of treasure, but all in some measure. So James says that we must trust Jesus with our treasure. Trust Jesus with your treasure. Well, how do you do that? Well, how do you do that? Well, if you don't do that, James says, it will consume you like fire. Verse 3, your gold and silver are corroded and they will be evidence against you and eat your flesh like fire. Anybody want your possessions to consume you? No. That's the opposite of joy. That's misery. James says, then you must trust Jesus with your treasure. Well, how do you do that? Look at verse 4. Practically speaking, treat people fairly. Behold, the wages of the labor who mowed your fields, which, have kept, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God is watching how we treat one another with our treasure. God is watching. God is listening. Remember that old song, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears, be careful hands what you do, because the Father up and above is looking down with love, so be careful little hands what you do. James is saying, God is watching how we use our money, and if we hoard our money, if, we, if we're cheap with other people, if we're fraudulent with other people, if we're unjust with other people, if we take advantage of other people, God is paying attention and he will judge. Even if we think we got away with it, even if we think nobody knows, James says God knows. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't be cheap with people. Let me ask you a question. Has God been cheap with you? Has God been abundant with you? So why would you not be abundant with others? See, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If you've really received abundant saving grace of God, then that transforms you into abundant person. You are a blessing. Your treasures become a conduit of blessing to other people. There is joy in being abundant as God has been abundant with you. This is why Paul quotes Jesus in Acts 20 saying, it is better to give than to receive. And let me just say, if if that sounds foreign to you, try it. It really is better to give than to receive. So what's the alternative to trusting Jesus with your treasure? Hoarding money, being cheap, being indulgent. Verse 5, James says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence and you have fattened your heart for the day of slaughter. For the day of slaughter. So as Christians, we should not be described as just using our money to grow our luxury, to grow our indulgence, to fatten our heart. We should view our treasure, our abundance, whatever you have, as a means to bless others and show them that God has been abundant with us. You know, what comes to my mind is when Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. 
You will either hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other, but you can't have it both ways. If Jesus is your master, then you will trust him with your money. And your generosity with others will reflect his generosity with you. And your resources will be a blessing to others because there is joy in giving and there is joy in blessing. Eternal joy. But if the money is your master, then here's the irony. The money will become a curse to you. It will be evidence against you. It will cry out against you. And if you've lived your life hoarding rather than blessing, God says, try me. Learn to be a blessing to others as I've been a blessing to you. And you will experience joy. That's the promise. Joy. Trust Jesus with your tomorrow. Trust Jesus with your treasure. And finally, trust Jesus with your trial. This final section is verses 7 through 20. We're not going to read the whole section. That's a very long section. It's the biggest section, but trust Jesus with your trial. Now, if you've been paying attention in the book of James, James starts the book by talking about trials, and he ends the book by talking about trials. Now, why do you think he does that? Because in many ways, can we be honest? Life is one trial after another. And so if you want to get good at following Jesus, you've got to learn to trust Jesus in your trials. Trust him in your trials. Trials are an opportunity to show others and to prove in your own life that you truly belong to Jesus. You truly belong to Jesus. God will give you joy and he will grow you closer to Jesus in your trials. So I want you to reframe the way you think about trials. When you're going through a trial, I want you to think this is an opportunity to trust Jesus and to have joy in Jesus, this mysterious undercurrent of joy that the world apart from Jesus just does not understand. So let me give you an analogy of marriage. In the Bible, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. My wife and I this year celebrate our 24th year of marriage. And marriage is not always easy, but it is a blessing. And you will go through hard times in marriage. And when you go through hard times, they should cause you and your spouse to grow closer together, which is a good thing. The hard times are not good, but they do something good. They make you love each other more. They make you cling to each other more. They make you appreciate each other more. You'll never appreciate your spouse more than when you are loving each other in the hardships of life. And so too it is for the Christians and Christ. Difficult times aren't good, but they do something good. They should cause us to love Jesus more, appreciate Jesus more, cling to Jesus more. There is joy in that. Like the old hymn says, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. But listen, the sweetness of trusting Jesus, the sweetness doesn't come without the bitterness of trials. See, our problem is we want the sweetness of trusting Jesus without the bitterness of trials. But you only get the sweetness of trusting Jesus in the bitterness of trials. And so... Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. 
James says, consider Job. Now, you might be a new Christian. You might not know much about the Bible, but Job is a character in the Old Testament who went through terrible trials. He lost his kids. He lost his house. He lost his business. He didn't lose his spouse, but she basically abandoned him and said, you must have done something bad. Curse God and die. Job went through trials, and James says, consider Job, because in all of these things, in all of our trials, God has a purpose. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Look at that in verse 11. The purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So I don't know the first thing about you and your trials. I really don't. I have no inside baseball on you as a congregation. I don't know your trials. But I do know this. God has a purpose for your trials. And God wants to reveal himself to be merciful and compassionate to you in your trials so that you will trust him and in the midst of your trials experience an unexplainable supernatural joy that doesn't go away in the dark hours of the soul. And so we trust God to be compassionate and merciful. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says in verse 12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In your trials, don't do what we often do, if we're honest. We resort to cursing. We curse We curse others, we curse God, we curse our neighbors. James says, no, 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 don't do that anymore, brothers and sisters. Don't do that anymore. Instead of cursing, praise God, trust God. He's got a purpose, he's merciful and compassionate. And then in verse 11, James points to Job in verse 11. Look in verse 17, he points to Elijah. Elijah, doesn't it make you feel good to know that Job went through trials like you and Jesus went through trials like you and Elijah went through trials like you? Now, do you know who Elijah is in the Old Testament? He's one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And James says, Elijah. Now, you might think, yeah, but Elijah was just this super spiritual person. What do I have in common with Elijah? I live in California in 2023. Elijah was probably this super spiritual monk-like person that just lived in a mountain. Not true at all. Notice what it says in verse 17. James says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently and God heard his prayer. So you can trust God just like Elijah in your trials And trusting God means praying and praising and not cursing and condemning. Trusting God means praying. Go to God in your prayers. Listen, when you are going through something in life, just pausing and praying is one of the ways that you practically demonstrate that you're trusting God. And does that make everything right when you pray? Do all your problems go away when you pray? No. But what does it do to you? It causes your soul to enter a state of peace and a state of joy. And so James says, when you're going through trials, 
you'll experience the joy of the Lord if you will pray, if you will trust. And there's one other thing, and I promise you I did not plan for these all to start with P. It's really there in the text, praising and praying. And the third thing is patience. We trust God in our trials by being patient. Look at verse 7, chapter 5, verse 7. Be what? Patient, therefore, brothers. If you're here this morning and you're going through a trial and you're experiencing anxiety, your anxiety is probably because you want it to be over. You just want it to be over. And James says, be patient. Practice patience through prayer. Practice patience through praise. Be patient. God's in control. He's got a timeline that doesn't match ours, but he's in control, so you trust him. Trust him. Be patient in your trials. Often in trials, what we try to do is we try to wrestle control from God. We want to make things happen. We want to control things. We want to control people. We want to control things. And rather than trusting God, who's in control and not us. So if you trust that God is in control, a peace and a joy will enter into your soul. But if you're trying to control and if you're trying to, if you're trying to make it happen and not trust God, then you're going to experience a greater anxiety. So James says, be patient Trust the plan of God. Again, what did Jesus teach us to pray? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And why should we trust God? Because in the midst of our trials, he's got a purpose. And he's gracious. And he's compassionate. And you know, I loved how Dustin started us off by saying, let's think of something to be thankful for. If in the midst of your trials, you will pause and look for evidence of God's mercy and compassion, I promise you, I promise you, you'll find it. You'll find it. So what's the point? What's in it for you? What's in it for you is joy and not just temporary joy. Here's the great thing about this. James is talking about eternal joy. Joy that only gets better the longer you trust. Look at what he says in verse 19. Look at verse 19. He says, my brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There is eternity at stake when we trust God. Eternity is at stake. Not just today, not just our little problems. Literally, eternity is at stake in our trials and in our treasure and in our tomorrow as we trust Jesus. When you're trusting Jesus in these ways, you're, going, you're not going to be self-obsessed and self-absorbed. You're going to be joyfully free to trust God. And that'll enable you to see the needs of others and reach out to them. See, when we're trying to control and when we're anxious, all we can think about is ourselves. But when we're trusting Jesus, we have eyes to see others and their needs and we become servants. And here's an amazing, mysterious irony you will sometimes be the greatest blessing to others in the moment of your greatest trials, in your greatest trials. So brothers and sisters, that's the message. There is joy 
in trusting Jesus. Let me quote these song lyrics one more time. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the joy of trusting you. Lord, we confess that we struggle with this. God, we confess that we become very sinful with our tomorrows and sinful with our treasures and sinful with our trials. God, even right now, I trust your spirit is bringing to our attention ways where we have fallen short. And God, our our hope this morning is not that we'll do better. Our hope this morning is that Jesus' blood atones for our sins. His blood cleanses us from unrighteousness. The death and resurrection of Jesus pays the penalty and the debt that we owe. So God, this morning, would the abundance of your mercy create abundance of joy in our lives? Would your abundant grace lead to abundant grace towards others? Would you transform us even as you've saved us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.